So our scripture reading is from John 1, verse 29. And um, let me read that for you, even though we read it this morning. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then actually, in the next section we're going to be in in John, it's going to be John 1, 35 through 51 is going to be the next section we're going to take. And at the very beginning of that section, we have this. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. So the Lamb of God is a name, a title of Jesus. And one of the many cool things about John chapter 1, and it's, it's one of the reasons we're, we're spending some time here and not just quickly going through it, and it's one of the reasons I believe that John 1 is so rich, is that it is filled with titles for Jesus. Some of them we've seen already, but there are many more coming up just in the last little section that we're going to read. Jesus is talked about as the Word in John 1, life, light, Son of God. That was in our text this morning at the very end of it, I believe. Verse, yeah, verse 34. Coming up, Rabbi in verse 38, Messiah, verse 41, King of Israel, verse 49, Son of Man, verse 51. You know, they say the Gospel of John really lifts up. It has a high Christology, is what theologians say, which means the Gospel of John lifts up the name of Jesus and you can see it already in this verse, first chapter with all of these titles for Jesus. And among all of those titles is this one, Lamb. And, and Jesus, as the Lamb, it's one of the most prominent of his titles and one of the most cherished. In fact, there's one pastor who says that no name of Jesus has been dearer to Christian devotional thought and language than this one, the Lamb. And if you think about it, if you look back over the centuries, this title shows itself. It comes up again and again and again throughout the centuries and until today in Christian art, in the great songs of the faith. It comes up in the Lord's Supper too. And when we read the form for the Lord's Supper, you'll see that idea of the Lamb coming up. Now, that probably makes sense to you if, if you think about it, but for how prominent it is, for how much Christians sort of latch onto that and love that title, it's not used very often in the Bible. Now, it's used a ton of times in Revelation. But apart from Revelation, of course, also written by John, who wrote the Gospel of John, it's only in several places directly said 
outside of Revelations. 1 Peter 1.19, 1 Corinthians 5.7, Acts 8.32, and then in these two spots I just read. However, why it's such a big deal is because the idea of Jesus as the Lamb goes back all the way into the Old Testament. And what I want to do tonight is kind of more of a Bible study almost, tracing this title, how this title came to be such a prominent title, and and tracing it out throughout the Old Testament, all right? So, and it turns out that God was revealing Jesus in the idea of the Lamb. He was revealing Jesus progressively throughout history. And as we trace that out, we'll see a great and a beautiful drama that unfolds. So I'd encourage you uh, to turn with me in your Bibles as we read these various texts tonight. Okay, so grab your Bibles, and we're going to start with Genesis 4, verses 1 through 5. Genesis 4 Verses 1 through 5. Four chapters into the Bible. Four, verse 1. Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, but Abel brought fat portions from among the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. So we're very early on in Scripture, obviously. And of course, as we're reading this, these verses in the Old Testament, like all of the Old Testament, we're in New Testament times. We're reading the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament, knowing that Jesus has come, knowing that all of this is pointing to Jesus. And in the Old Testament, there are all sorts of what we call types of Jesus Christ. And it's, it's, it's pretty cool to trace those out and find them. They're all over the place. Types of Christ look forward to Jesus in a special way. They foreshadow him. They point to him. They tell us something about him. Abel's sheep sacrifice is one of the earliest types of Christ in the Bible. We read that Abel brought the firstborn of his flocks, and God looked with favor on him. That's a type of Christ in the sense that God also was pleased with the sacrifice of his first and only begotten son who gave himself as an offering for sin. So a type of Christ in, in his offering of sheep, of lambs. Now, a little bit later, Genesis 22 Genesis 22, the first eight verses. So this is Abraham and Isaac, 
And what we find here is this glimpse, this very small picture of the lamb that we got in Genesis 4, it's filled out a little bit. And that's what we're going to find each step along the way in the Old Testament, the picture of the lamb and what God is doing with the idea of the lamb in Jesus gets fuller and more clear. Genesis 22, verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. And then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And then the two of them went on together. So that verse 8, God himself will provide a lamb. God here, the immediate fulfillment of that was a ram. So a little bit later, God did indeed, he provided a ram. Now, Abraham couldn't have known the full ramifications of how God would provide the lamb for the sins of the world one day. But the New Testament, of course, tells us exactly how God provides the lamb. He provides for our deepest needs through his son, the lamb of God, Jesus. Exodus 12. And we'll start at verse 1. Exodus 12. This is, if you look at the, the little heading in the NIV study Bible, for, or any, any NIV Bible for chapter 11, it says the plague on the firstborn. You remember, that was the 10th plague. So this is in the context of the plagues. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. Verse 7, then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. Verse 12, On that same night I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. 
No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Here, in addition to what we saw earlier, what's added is the idea of a lamb slain and its blood applied to save the people. So the picture is filled out a little bit more. Uh, To be saved from the angel of death that would go and kill the firstborn of every household as the tenth plague in punishment to the Egyptians, Israel was to put a lamb's blood on the sides and tops of their door frames. And then that angel of death would pass over their house. And I don't know if you, like me, you know, you sometimes picture in your mind things. And for me, um, I picture those wraiths in the Lord of the Rings movies, if many of you have seen those. But, and those were very, very scary creatures. And, and the reality is I'm sure that the angel that God sent was even much more frightening than even something as scary as those wraiths in the Lord of the Rings. I also always imagine, you know, you kind of imagine them putting this blood on like paint, but of course they wouldn't have had paint brushes or buckets, and it was actually probably a lot grosser than that. They probably just dipped something into the ripped open carcasses of these lambs, right? If you think about it, and then applied it, it's just, it's very disgusting. And in this way, with the blood applied, Israelite families were saved from the angel of death. Thankfully, Christ shed his blood, and it is applied to us so that we are saved once and for all, and that's so that blood does not have to be shed anymore. Otherwise, if he hadn't come, we'd still be doing that kind of gross stuff. So here, the lamb became very clearly, and this is filling out the picture even more, very clearly the lamb became a symbol of deliverance, a symbol of salvation. Even more than that, the lamb's blood was a means of deliverance. And then they were to celebrate this as a lasting ordinance, the Passover feast. And then from here, all throughout the rest of the Old Testament, among the Jewish people, the lamb was an animal of sacrifice. There was hardly a sacrifice, and they were sacrificing animals all the time. There was hardly a sacrifice that did not involve a lamb. The daily sacrifice involved the lamb, morning and night, burnt offerings, peace offerings, all the major feasts every year. Also, every great occasion, every special occasion, like David's preparations for the building of the temple, Hezekiah's day after the cleansing of the temple, the time of reformation during King Josiah. So it was clear to everyone in Israel that lambs sacrificed had to do with God's deliverance of his people. The blood of lambs poured out was a symbol of making things right between God and between people. Isaiah 53 now. Isaiah 53. And there's a a whole prophecy here that we're familiar with. Um, I'm not going to read it all, but early on talk about 
he was despised, this is a prophecy, he was despised, rejected by men, a man of sorrows. He took on our infirmities. He carried up our sorrows. He was crushed for our iniquities. Verse 6, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then verse 7, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Now, this is a huge step forward in God's revealing of the idea of the lamb in Jesus. Here, for the very first time, Israel learned that the lamb would be a person. Now, of course, Jesus was prophesied all throughout the Old Testament. But here, for the very first time, there was a clear connection made that the lamb would, there would be a person who would be called the lamb. This person who was prophesied to come. And then, John one twenty nine, our text, and this is where the lamb is identified. This is where the lamb is finally identified. So you picture now John the Baptist's ministry with this Old Testament backdrop that we've got in our minds now from the last few minutes. Israel had known about the sacrificial lamb all throughout its history. They, know, they knew of Abraham and Isaac. They knew how Abraham told Isaac God would provide a lamb. They know about God telling the people to take a lamb, kill it, sprinkle its blood to save them and celebrate Passover year after year. They knew about the temple sacrifice morning and evening, a, a lamb put on the altar. They know about Isaiah prophesying of a person, a person now who would be led as a lamb to the slaughter in order to become the sacrifice for his people's sins. It all leads to that exclamation of John. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here he is, finally, after all these centuries. The Lamb is Jesus. The Lamb is Jesus. And you notice, we didn't talk about this this morning. John says the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world, not sins. And that, that's kind of something to be aware of. It's kind of important. As serious as our individual day-by-day sins are, sin is the bigger issue. Sin is the root cause of the need for the Lamb to come. That he came for our sin tells us that we are sinners by nature. Sin dwells in us. Christ died to put away sin, not only sins by his sacrifice. He did that to the extent that he was made sin for us. This is what it was all leading up to from the beginning. Ever since sin came into the world, it's fulfilled. It's finished in Jesus' once-for-all sacrifice. But now there's even more. There's even more. There's a further revelation 
a further painting of this picture in that mysterious book, Revelation, the last book of the Bible. And this is where we get most of the references to Jesus as the Lamb. In Revelation 5 and in Revelation 22, we have the Lamb magnified and we have the Lamb glorified, lifted up to worship, to praise, to be exalted. It's a picture of the Lamb in glory. It's a very different picture of the Lamb, but it's connected to the other ones because we read that this is the Lamb who was slain. So we know he's talking about the same person. It's based on that sacrificial picture, the sacrifice for sins, what we most needed. So look at Revelation 5, verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne. So this is a glimpse of the end of time, of course. I saw a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept. And again, this is John as an older man. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. And then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if he had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns, a symbol of power always in these visions, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. Can we say these words together? You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. And then verse 12, let's read 12 and 13 together too. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. So the Lamb is to be worshipped and glorified and magnified. And then Revelation 22 verse 1 says that this Lamb is to be, is, he's on the throne. Revelation 22 verse 1, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, last chapter in the Bible. 
the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. So he is God. He's on the throne. He has been exalted, and he is to be glorified. So in Revelation, we are given the picture of the Lamb with power, with authority, the one who will have ultimate victory in the universe and in history, the one who is in control of all of history, the one who leads the church, the one who is, in fact, God, heaven's exalted king, worthy of all our praise and the praise of all the saints forever and for all eternity. I want to conclude with asking you to do a couple of things now that we've beheld the Lamb in the sweep of history, in the sweep of the Bible. Two things. The first one is look within. We're beholding the Lamb. Now look within. Do you know this Lamb? Do you know Him personally? Do you know that He was not only slain for the world, which is an awesome thing. But do you know that he was slain for you too, personally? Do you know that he was slain as a sacrifice for your sins tonight? you got to know it because it's true. And you can belong to him. Your sin and your sins can be forgiven. You can be cleansed no matter how great your sin is, no matter how distant you can feel from the Lord, no matter the struggle, the promised lamb has come for you too. All you have to do is accept him, receive him. So be sure that you have looked within and that you belong to the lamb and that you're walking closely with him and that you're dedicating with God's help your all to him. Secondly, look ahead. Look ahead. That's where we ended in our survey of the Bible. We see the lamb in revelation and glory at the end of time. Sometimes the weight of our present circumstances brings us down to discouragement. And, and sometimes you feel like you're the only one. I know how that is. Sometimes you feel like you're the only one. And, and why am I down? Why am I discouraged? We, we're thinking of our own situation. Maybe we're thinking of a loved one who's struggling for whatever reason. It, it, just, it just hurts us. Maybe we're thinking about the world situation. And all of that, it's enough to make us worried, concerned, to say the very least. It's enough to sap our strength and wonder if any of it's worth it. But then we look to the Lamb, and God directs us to the Lamb in Revelation. And we see where it's all leading. Revelation, remember, was written to a generation of Christians being persecuted for their faith severely. 
Christians who were perhaps losing hope. And Revelation was written to give them hope and to give us hope. The picture of the Lamb and the prophecies of what is to come are there to give us strength to press on. The picture of the Lamb tells us that God is going to work it all out. He is working it all out right now for His glory, for the benefit of you and me and all of His people, all those who belong to the Lamb. Behold the Lamb in your life today.